Hey guys, welcome to the fourth episode of Four Vaginas Only, which is also the third episode of the Pap Smear series. Hello and welcome to Four Vaginas Only, the podcast about everything female. I'm your host, Dr. Celestine, bringing you important information about understanding your health and body in the way you wish your doctor would actually explain it. What's up, guys? Dr. Celestine here. In today's episode, we're going to talk about why the pap smear guidelines are the way that they are now, as well as what happens after you get an abnormal pap smear result. So as much as I've talked about the pap smear guidelines as if they are the Bible, you know, won't ever change. Was that a bad joke? Maybe. But anyway, (laughs) you know, they have actually changed a few times over the past few years. And what I've talked about in this pap smear series are the recommendations and guidelines as of today. Now, I know after saying that, some are immediately thinking, well, these people who've made the guidelines keep changing them. They obviously have no idea what they're actually doing. But in reality, they do, um, because the goal is to try to balance as best as medically possible the benefits with doing pap smears to the harms and risks of overdoing pap smears. And yes, there are risks. I kind of label them into three categories. The first risk being the freak out. The second risk being the reproductive or pregnancy risk. And the third risk, which is not really a risk, but the third downside is the cost. So let's first talk about the freak out. Now the recommendation is that you start screening the cervix for cervical changes and cancer at the age of 21. It used to be much earlier, but it's been determined over many tests that it's unnecessary to burden a young woman with the stress of having HPV and cervical changes, as well as going through the multiple follow-up pap smears and procedures that will be done because of that abnormal result when only one to two girls within the age of 15 to 19 out of a million will actually have cervical cancer. And yes, although that sounded very exaggerated, that is a real fact. In addition to that, these young women have usually really good immune systems and clear the disease, which is why the statistic is so exaggerated. So why cause the freak out unnecessarily? Which leads me to the next risk. Not only are you causing these young women to freak out, but also once you have an abnormal result, like I will get into a little bit later, you usually end up going through a whole series of more testing and more procedures. And some of these procedures can lead to risks during pregnancy. For example, at some point, if you have an abnormal pap smear result, depending on the actual result, you may need a biopsy of the cervix, which is different from a pap smear that just takes a brushing of cells. You actually take a little piece of the cervix out and send it to a lab for analysis. And some studies say that taking this little piece out of the cervix or this biopsy can weaken the structure of the cervix, which once you become pregnant, can cause preterm delivery. The third harm of screening 
um, pap smears or doing pap smears too often is the cost. Now, we all know healthcare in general is a big issue in this country because of the cost of healthcare and providing healthcare to as many people as we possibly can. I'm not going to get political about it, but um, as physicians and, you know, the governing bodies of physicians, we need to make sure that we're treating enough people as we can, as well as treating them adequately and preventing the diseases, and in this case, cancers that we need to prevent, but also doing it in a cost-effective way so that we can continue providing these services for many years and for many other people. Now, no guideline is perfect, which is why they change from time to time, but they change in the hopes of creating a better balance in the benefits and the harms factor of every test and procedure with the ideal balance creating many more benefits and a lot less harm. And that's why the pap smear guidelines are the way they are today. So now I've talked about how you do a pap smear, why you do a pap smear, what HPV is, these high-grade and low-grade changes on the cervix that HPV can cause. I've talked about getting a vaccine to prevent HPV and cervical cancer. But now I want to talk about what happens when you get your pap smear performed, you go back to your doctor's office, and they tell you that you do have an abnormal pap smear result. Once again on this topic, I'm only going to scratch the surface. And by scratch the surface, I don't mean at all that I'm not giving you the information that you need. I just mean that there is a lot more information out there that also the recommendations become very tailored to a specific person's experience and diagnosis. So I'm going to talk about it in general terms. However, if you go to my website, fvonly.com, you can find a little bit more information to supplement what you're hearing today. I'm going to also reiterate that just because you have HPV does not mean that you will get cervical cancer. That's very, very important for me to stress in each one of these episodes. I don't want people thinking that, I just don't want people thinking that. (laughs) Um, HPV is a process, a spectrum, if you will, from low-grade changes to high-grade changes to cervical cancer. And going through that spectrum can take many, many years. For example, it's said that for somebody that has high-grade changes of their cervix due to HPV, it can take up to 10 years to get cervical cancer. And that is if there's no treatment done. And I know that everybody listening to this podcast, if this is their scenario, is going to get that treatment done, right? So let's talk about what that entails. As I've mentioned numerous times, the PAP is a screening test meaning that if you have an abnormal result, you need to then proceed to a test that gives you an official diagnosis. Now, with that said, some of the time if you have low-grade changes on your pap, especially if you're under the age of 25 and not pregnant, the next step would be to repeat that pap smear within a year. However, with any indication of high-grade changes on a pap or if you have a positive HPV test, you'll move on to the diagnosis test called a colposcopy. A colposcopy is an unnecessarily fancy word for a large microscope. So when you need a colposcopy, you will return to your physician's office, get in the same position as you did when you had a pap smear, including the use of a speculum to view the cervix, and your physician will look at the cervix with this large microscope. 
Not only is the cervical image now enhanced for better viewing, but your physician will put a couple of solutions onto the cervix to get an even better view. If at this point an abnormality is apparent, you will get a cervical biopsy, usually after use of numbing medication to the cervix. It feels sort of like a very quick, sharp pinch. I wish I could tell you it's completely painless, but it usually isn't. The consolation is that the small amount of pain is usually very quick. Once that very small piece of cervix is sent to a lab, they report back with your official diagnosis. The diagnosis is usually reported as levels of cervical intraepithelial neoplasia. That's the big fancy word, but usually it's just referred to as CIN for short. There is CIN 1, 2, and 3. The designation has changed a little recently, but for now I'll stick to these three basic results. So CIN 1 is a low-grade change, and CIN 3 is a high-grade change to the cervix. CIN2 is complicated, but most categorize it as a high-grade change as well. So if you have a high-grade change, CIN2 or 3, on your cervix, or if you have a persistent low-grade CIN1, you will need to move toward treatment. Treatment comes in two forms. Excision, meaning surgically removing a larger piece of your cervix that contains the abnormal tissue, or ablative, meaning burning or freezing the cervix to remove the abnormality. The excision is performed while you are under anesthesia, so you will be asleep, don't worry. But the ablative treatment can be done in your doctor's office while you are awake. And no, it's not very painful. The funny thing about the cervix is it doesn't really have many pain sensors in its tissue, so you won't feel the pain um, with minor procedures as much as you think you probably would. So that's the gist of the PAP test screening guidelines and how diagnosis and treatment are performed. Of course, keep in mind, I have just explained the basics so that you can have an informed conversation with your doctor. Your specific situation may be different. In fact, no two situations are ever really the same. So please follow the recommendations set forth by your physician when it comes to managing your care. You know, in this episode, I was thinking about doing another myth versus fact, like I've previously done um, in my other episodes, but I think also what I want to actually do is just make a little statement about Four Vaginas Only, the podcast, the name, etc. I just want everybody out there to understand that I, first and foremost, am an obstetrician and gynecologist. So if you have any body part that I take care of, then Four Vaginas Only is for you. If you have breasts, um, a vagina, obviously, a cervix, a uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries, you know, I am the doctor for you. That is my job and that is my training. Um, Whether you are, you know, cisgender, transgender, whatever sexual orientation or gender expression that you identify with, I am also for you personally. I don't have any biases towards anybody. If you are one of my friends listening to this, you already know that. If you are becoming my friend through listening to Four Vaginas Only, I want you to know that. Um, But most importantly, like I said, I do have a job, and this podcast is about learning about those 
body parts that I take care of. Um, and if you have one of those, like I said, this is the podcast for you to learn about that. Also, if you love people that have those body parts and you want to learn about it, then this is for you as well. Um, it's just really for anybody, anybody that I can identify with the topic at hand that I am presenting, then this podcast is for you. And I just want everybody to understand that. Um, women empowerment, female empowerment, I don't think those things are exclusive. And I don't think that, you know, there's one way to promote that. Um, this is my way because this is what I was trained in and this is the knowledge that I want to bring to the public. But there's many ways to express female empowerment. There's many ways to promote female empowerment. And, you know, it's just one love all around. I firmly believe that it's what's in your heart that counts. It's that what's in your heart is where the magic is. And um, with that, thank you for listening. Thank you guys so much for listening to Four Vaginas Only. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment. This is the end of the PAP series, but I'll see you in the next episode.